Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. First Kings chapter 18, would you do me a favor? Shout, I got it. If you've got it, would you rest on your feet as we read the scripture together? And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. In 2008, one of the first films that brought awareness to the crime of human trafficking came out. Uh, It's a movie called Taken. You may have seen it. It stars a guy by the name of Liam Neeson, who is a former CIA agent. uh, And his daughter happens to go on a trip to France, and she gets abducted. Um, And in this uh, sort of turn of events, somehow he gets uh, on the phone with uh, with her abductors and uh, and they have this interaction with one another. And Liam Neeson says to the abductors, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. I can tell you I don't have money, but what I do have are a particular set of skills, (laughs) skills that I've acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like If you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. On the other end of the phone, the abductors coolly reply, good luck. And that ends the conversation and begins uh, Liam Neeson's sort of unrelenting process of getting back what had been taken. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, uh, essentially, that's exactly what has happened to the people of Israel, the people of God, uh, over the course of the last 200 years of their history, have been taken. There have been 19 kings over the past 200 years, uh, and the Bible tells us that the king that is now king of the people of Israel is the most evil king of all of those 19 bad kings. Uh, And so, in essence, what is happening is the people of Israel have turned their attention to worship in a polytheistic society, a society where they worship multiple gods. They have turned their attention to worship the god Baal. He is uh, the god of fire and the god god of agriculture, the god of crops, right? Uh, And and so, in essence, what we get to see in 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18 is the unrelenting pursuit of God to come after that which had been taken, his people. And if there was a big idea that sort of lifted itself off the pages of our passage this morning, uh, it would be the idea that God comes after his people. God comes after us. So I want to preach from that subject this morning. If you would, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness towards us. We thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together to worship you. Uh, And now I I pray as we get ready to open up your word in this particular Old Testament narrative, God, uh, that you would illuminate our hearts to what you would have for us, God. We know that the scripture says that your word does not return to you void. And so I pray, 
um, that you would do what only you can do, uh, that you would act on your word. And I pray as receivers and hearers of, the, of your word that we wouldn't just be receivers and hearers, but we would be doers in response to your word because you said that faith without works is dead. And so I pray um, that our faith would be genuine faith that responds to your word in a way that honors you. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. Stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue, teach us those things which we are to know, say, and do. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. So our text picks up in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, a prophet by the name of Elijah uh, has, uh, has gone to this evil king, King Ahab. The, and God sends him uh, to Ahab, and he says to Ahab, uh, that because you have caused the people of Israel to worship a different God, there is going to be no rain uh, in Israel until I say it's going to rain. Uh, and so you can imagine if uh, in the ancient world it's an agricultural society, so if there's no rain, there's no food. If there's no food, then people can't live. Uh, and, and so, in essence, what, what he's saying is that the entire economy of Israel uh, is going to completely flatten, and, uh, and it won't resurrect until I say it's going to resurrect. Uh, and so, when he goes to King Ahab and, and says this to him, uh, in response to what, what he says, uh, King Ahab then begins to pursue Elijah in the Bible says, every nation that surrounded Israel. He goes looking to assassinate Elijah. And so the particular time period that we're in, I said 200 years, 19 kings. After uh, we talked about King David last week, King David was one of the most prominent kings in all of the Israel's history. And so you have King David, and then you have his son Solomon, and then you have this 200-year period of these 19 kings. And all of them, the Bible says, were bad. All of them were bad. It says twice that Ahab was the worst. Uh, and, and so that, that's, the, that's the situation. That's, that's the circumstance uh, through which God raises up this prophet Elijah to speak on his behalf. Uh, and then he goes to King Ahab and says that God is going to shut the windows of heaven uh, and it will not rain until I say it's going to rain. And so after he says this to King Ahab, he then goes on the run, and God sends him uh, to Pastor Derek's favorite passage to preach, is it, the, the brook Cherith. And he talks about the ravens providing, uh, providing for Elijah, right? And, uh, and so he, he stays at the brook, and he's able to drink the water from the brook, and, and he's able to eat food because the ravens bring him food. But then the brook dries up, and God sends him to a place called Zarephath, uh, where there is a widowed woman who uh, is on her last bit of food. Um, and so she, uh, she, he goes to this widowed woman, and he says, go to your pantry and bring me a piece of bread. And she says to Elijah, listen, I plan on going to take this flour and this water, make the last piece of bread that I have, and then me and, me and my son were going to die. That, that's how bad the famine had gotten uh, in Israel, that, that literally people, uh, people had the last of their last. And, and here's one of my favorite things uh, about that particular passage is that uh, every time this widow woman went back to the pantry, there was a little more flour. 
Every time uh, she went back to make some bread, there was a little more bread. Uh, every time uh, she went back to the pantry, she never went to the grocery store, uh, but, but there was still something left. Uh, and, and that's where I get the idea that God has the ability for those who are his to make your last last. And some of us know that experience, that, that you only had $37.12 in the bank account, and for some reason, some way, somehow, you got to the other end of the month and you had $27.37 because God knows how to make your last last. And so, in essence, that, that is what happens over the course of three years. God has provided for Elijah in so many different ways. Then finally, three years of famine, they, they worship this God called Baal. It's an agricultural society. Uh, Ahab has gone to every nation surrounding the people of Israel trying to find, with his greatest soldiers, trying to find Elijah, and God has protected him and preserved him. And now the word of the Lord comes to Elijah and says, I want you to go back to Ahab. Uh, and I want, you, uh, I, I want you to confront him. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ahab, like I said, is the worst of the worst of the kings, right? And he's the most powerful person in the entire nation. And Elijah has no army. He has no posse. He has no crew. He has no weapons. And yet he goes to confront Ahab uh, and, uh, and in First Kings chapter 17, uh, excuse me, First Kings chapter 18, it says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Uh, and they get into this huge, huge back and forth. Uh, and, and, and he gets blamed for the famine that has taken over the people of Israel and crushed the economy of the people of Israel. And the interesting thing uh, about this famine is that it's a bad thing that God uses for a good thing. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hurtful thing that God uses to get the people of Israel's attention, right? It's, it's, it's this idea that sometimes in life, and we don't like to hear this, we, we don't, we, this doesn't compute in, uh, in our, our minds, but sometimes God hurts us to help us. Sometimes, sometimes, Sometimes God, uh, God has to stir up some mess in your life uh, for, for, for you to hit the proverbial uh, blockages of, of life and hit your head on the wall and realize something ain't working right. Doctors understand this. Uh, they understand this. You, you get a broken arm, uh, Robinson, and, and you go to the doctor and, and they meticulously set that bone so that it can heal stronger. Now, the process hurts, but the process helps. Uh, radiologists understand this, right? Radiologists, you, you, any cancer survivor will tell you that went through chemotherapy and, uh, and they experienced uh, the chemotherapy killing the bad cells within their body. They, they would tell you that the process hurt, but the process helped. The, the people who... Uh, the, the people who experience surgeries, the, the doctor, the surgeon, uh, has to cut you open, has to cut some stuff out of you, has, has to reconnect some stuff, has to clear some blockages and, and sew you back up. The process hurts, but it helps. One of my boys 
he lives in, in Southern California, but he, he grew up in, in Mississippi, and, uh, and I still can't understand exactly how it all worked uh, because he had like eight siblings, right? But he, got a, he was the oldest, and he got a full-ride scholarship to play football. And so his senior year, the beginning of his senior year, because he got a full-ride scholarship to play football, his dad bought him a brand-new Camaro IROC Z with the T-tops, right? Now, y'all might not uh, remember that kind of car, you know, late 80s kind of thing. My brother is old, uh, you know, uh, about Jay's age. And, um, and um, sorry, bro. And so he, he had this uh, cherry apple, uh, candy apple red IROC Z, right? Um, and, and, and so he loves this car, and his dad gave it to him because he got a full-ride scholarship. And so he gets it right before the se his senior year of high school. And, uh, and so he ends up getting in a situation where he lies to his dad. Uh, he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be with uh, doing something he wasn't supposed to do. And he comes back and he lies to his dad's face. And his dad holds out his hand and says, give me the keys. And then Ricky said, and then I watched as I rode that big old yellow school bus to school every day, and I watched my younger brother drive my IROC Z to school every day. He said, Steve, I didn't lie to my father ever again because the process hurt, but the process helped. Has God ever famined you? For whatever reason, you, you, you continue to hit your, your head up against the wall, and it's just like, why does this not work? I'm, I'm still uh, in this dry place. Why, why does my life feel dry? And God, by his grace, has sent you into that famine. Not to hurt you, but to help you to get your attention, for you to realize that the bales of life don't do it. Only I can. And by his grace, he has come after you through a famine. The text goes on, and, uh, and, and, and I'm not trying to say that anybody who is in a famine right now is because of some stuff that, that you've done. The reality is, uh, is that sometimes God is still with us in the midst of famines even though we've been obedient to him and in spite of that. But, but there are times in life when God wants to get us, get our attention and provoke us to get our eyes up and to see the reality of our situation. And he sends us through a famine. So the people of Israel and King Ahab are looking for Elijah everywhere. They're, they're trying to find Elijah everywhere, and, uh, and they've sent out, they've sent out the, the biggest and baddest assassins to go find Elijah. And three years after the famine begins, the word of the Lord comes to Elijah, and, and it says, uh, he says to go back to Ahab and confront Ahab. And so in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, uh, he confronts Ahab and says, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? That's what Ahab says. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have. Your father's house, uh, you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned 
the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baal. So, so get this. This is like the first, uh, the first recording of trash talking in the Bible. It says, your mama and them and everybody that came with your family, they're the ones who have troubled Israel. They're the ones that God sent, the reason why God sent this famine. So Ahab says, Elijah, you're the reason why uh, why this is all happening to us. And Elijah says, without hesitation, back to the most powerful person in the entire country, no, it ain't because of me, it's because of you. It's, it's because you have called people to worship Baal. And so here's, uh, here's what, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's this picture, you got you to get the essence of, uh, of the picture, because it's kind of like uh, when, when Jake Paul or Logan Paul and one, one of them dudes, one of them press day conferences, right, and they're going back and forth, and Floyd Mayweather is getting ready to fight somebody, and, and, and it's just this, this big hurrah, right? And, and so he says in verse 19, he says, this is what I want you to do. Because it is your fault, this is what I want you to do to show it that it's your fault. In verse 19 of chapter 18, he says, Therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, what you need to understand is that Elijah is completely stacking the deck against himself. So, in essence, he calls, it's just one of me, call 850 of them. It's just one of me, and then he says, meet me at Mount Carmel, which is a, a, a kind of set of, uh, all, right off the Mediterranean Sea that juts out, it's a range of limestone hills that extend southeast for 11 miles. And many commentators believe that Elijah called for the prophets of Baal and the people of Israel to meet him there because that was believed to be sacred territory for Baal. In other words, he says, bring 850 of your, 850 of your best people and meet me at Baal's bluff. And that's where we're going to have this showdown. And so that's exactly what happens. And, and verse 21, what I read at the onset of our time together, is what Elijah says to the people of Israel after they have, uh, they have given home court advantage to Baal. He says, all the people of Israel there, Ahab's there, 850 false prophets are there. Elijah came near to the people. And said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? Uh, another translation says, how long will you limp back and forth between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. That's interesting. So Elijah's plan is, is kind of ingenious. He, he has... Uh, created this atmosphere that would provide undeniable proof that the Lord God of heaven is the one and true God. So he takes two oxen and has the false prophets take two oxen, and they prepared a sacrifice and laid it on the wood. 850 prophets called on Baal, and Elijah would call on his God. So Baal was, was worshipped as the God of, of the sun, the fire of the universe, and as the all-controlling God of the crops and produ productivity of the land. So if Baal could do anything, he could start a fire. If he could do anything, he could start a fire. So they all followed uh, Elijah's plan, and, and they carried out his instruction. But when they called upon Baal, there was no answer. Silence. And the silence was deafening. 
The prophets got so desperate that they began to leap around the altar. Imagine, 850 prophets leaping around an altar, calling on Baal in a frenzy, crying out, begging, pleading for his attention. And then in verse 27 of chapter 18, uh, then Elijah says, as they're jumping around for several hours, he says, uh, maybe you're not calling out loud enough. He says, he says, He's probably musing or relieving himself. The Hebrew word uh, that is translated musing suggests that maybe uh, he's somewhere in deep thought. Uh, to, to go aside is really to say maybe, maybe, maybe he's gone to the restroom and he'll be back in a minute. Then he begins pushing even harder or, or, or he's on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and you, you must wake him. You simply have to yell louder to wake him. And then all of a sudden, they start to do the unthinkable. So imagine 850 false prophets at Baal's territory calling on Baal. They really believe that he's supposed to say something. Like, he is alive, and he will say something. They're leaping around. They're jumping around. And then the Bible says that they begin to cut themselves with swords, and they're bleeding out, trying to get Baal's attention in silence. And the silence... Is deafening. And here's the thing. We don't live in a polytheistic society, right? So when we look at the people of Israel coming out believing that Baal is going to consume this sacrifice in Baal's territory at Baal's bluff, we look at it and say, man, they crazy. They, there's, something, there's something wrong with those people that they would actually that they would actually believe, uh, that they would actually believe that, that Baal is going to say something. And yet what, what I want to uh, commend to you is something that Pastor Derek and myself have said before, uh, but it, it, it should be said again, is that if you and I are made in God's image, then we will worship something. If that is a reality to our anthropology, to who we are as human beings, regardless of your religious background or how you were raised, there is something that you will build your life upon. There is something or someone that you will trust in to bring you lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. Uh, and, and you say, Pastor Steve, I get that. I, I, you know, I'm, I've been, I'm sophisticated in, in, in my uh, in my, my worship of God, I understand that the job isn't going to be the thing that brings me lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. I understand that the house isn't the thing that's going to uh, bring me lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace. I, I understand all of that. I, matter of fact, Pastor Steve, me and Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, when he gave, I read that, and he gave himself to, over to all of the things that you could desire in life. He had all the money that, that, that he needed to be able to do whatever he wanted. Uh, to, to live a completely hedonistic life, to give himself over to all of his desires, and he comes back and he says, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, uh, chasing after the wind. It is not tangible. It is not something that I can hold on to. It is empty. Pastor Steve, I, I understand that, right? I, I get that. I, I remember when, when, I was, uh, when I was in high school, 17 years old, and you have to understand where I grew up, um, this was just the thing, right? And where you grew up, it might have been different. But in, in high school, I had a 1995 uh, Chevy Caprice, 19, bubble Caprice. 
and it was silver with the digital dash and a leather interior. Doctor, didn't nobody have one of those. And, and I had the dual exhaust with the, with the glass packs on it, and, and, and it, it had, uh, I had 22-inch rims, right? And I had 15-inch speakers in the trunk, right? And so you have to imagine, it's maybe three or four of us at school that just, just are flexing every day when we drive up to the, to the school parking lot, right? And, and then over the course of time, I start to get over to, man, I, they came out with 24s now. I ain't got no money for 24s. How am I going to trade these 22s to get these 24s? Then they had floaters. Y'all heard of floaters? I said, I, I don't, I can't get, these floaters is like five, $6,000. Then, then some of my buddies we got, they got another, uh, another uh, they got themselves a bubble caprice, but they bought the police version with the police interceptor engine in it, right? So it had, I had the 4.3 liter V8, and, and you know, you might have grown up in a rural area, so just put, put yourself in like, man, I got the truck, it got the lift on it with the big mud tires, all, you know what I mean, that whole shooting match, right? And, and I got, uh, I, I thought to myself, man, man, I can't do these donuts at, at, at the parking lot and spin out and, and, and smoke, and I can't smoke out the car. And I, I kept coming up with excuse after excuse after excuse. And I realized, man, I, it's never enough. It's never enough. And you might say to yourself, Steve, that's, that's just a silly story of a 17-year-old. You just matured. And I want to suggest that we all mature and we all come up with our next Chevy Caprice. But watch this. Some of y'all, y'all been Christians for a while. You sophisticated and you understand theology and you read Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods and, uh, you know, all of these different things and, uh, and you get it, right? You get, you, you've been discipled and, and, and stuff like that. You went, you went through uh, Downline uh, Robinson and, and, uh, um, you, you went to school, and, 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 and you're sophisticated, um, but, but I want to suggest there's a God that you don't pay attention to that you worship. Uh, its name is wind. Uh, is, uh, it, is, it is the ethereal time out there. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is when you retire. It is, uh, it, is, it is when these kids get up out of my house. It is, it is when these kids get in school. It is when these kids get out of school. It is when I get married. It is when I have my first child. It's when I had my second child. It's when I can be a snowbird. It's when I become partner. It's when I get my pension. 
It's when I get the bonus at the end of the year. Here's the thing about the God of when. Not only is the God of when silent, you will arrive. And we, we matter of fact, let me, let, me, let me bless you with this too. We do that with our walk with Jesus. When I'm no longer struggling with this thing, when will I no longer compare and contrast myself to other people? When? Always believing that there's an arrival point. At some point in time, between the next 10 and 15 years, there's going to be an arrival. And, and I stopped by to share with you, baby, there's not going to be an arrival until the new heavens and the new earth come. That's the promised land. When... Not only is when silent, but you'll achieve the goals that you wanted out of life. And forget that you had a win. Your heart is so complex, you'll move on to the next one. When is not only silent, but when takes from you. When steals from you. Because all of the emotional energy and time and thought that you put into when. It stole your ability to be thankful in the present. It stole your ability to have gratitude for the small things. When I get to here, I'm going to come home and spend more time with my kids. When I get to here, and then you realize the whole time that playing ball in the park with my son was the most important thing in life and you're 65 years old, and all you do is live with regret because you worship the God when, and it stole from you. What is your win? What, what is that thing that you say to yourself, on the other side of this, what, what, is, what is that thing that you spend an incredible amount of mental and emotional energy consumed by? And I don't, got, I don't, have, I don't have a resolution for you. I don't have, I don't have a, a quick fix. I don't, I don't have like the pill to take, right? The red, red pill or blue pill. But what I do have and what I do think is helpful to every follower of Jesus is to look at that win and tell yourself that win is silent. That win does not speak. That win will steal from me.
And this is what our heart will do over and over and over again. And that's why we have to remind ourselves that when it's silent, that when does not speak, it will steal from me. And the reason why God has sent you into a famine and the reason why you feel like you're in this cycle where you're just running on a hamster wheel is because you're limping between two realities. There are those of us who are here today and the reality is Jesus is, is like, like, like we really do, like man, Jesus is dope. Like, like I, I get the, 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 the centrality of faith and, and what it can do in, in your life, but, but, but there's this other side of me. It kind of believes Baal speaks. And, and there's others of us in, in, the, in the midst of, of, of even just today, you realize, oh, snap. Like, like I, I knew that there were things that I could make God's in life, but, but I didn't know I could make a time frame of God in my life. That's a tricky thing. I, 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 I hadn't seen that before. I hadn't, I, hadn't, I hadn't realized that before, right? And God has sent you to the proverbial place to say, hey, you want living water. I have living water. The bells will always not speak. They'll always be silent. But I speak. And I act. And I love. And I provide. And I secure. And I father. And I create intimacy and and I can handle your emotions, and, and I, I'm a lover, and, and I create space where you belong. And his call is to get your attention. Verse 27, this is what happens in the passage. The prophets of Baal, they're going at it for hours. They're cutting themselves. They're trying to get Baal's attention. Nothing happens. They're push, he's pushing harder and harder. Nothing happens. Verse 36, Elijah rebuilds the altar of the Lord that was there. He douses it with water, so much so that the water is, uh, is lapping over. And the Bible says in verse 36, Elijah came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Fire instantaneously comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice and the altar. The people of God, the Bible says, turn back to him, and they no longer limp between two opinions. Elijah then begins to pray to God for the first time in three years. 
rain falls. Because, because God came after his people and God got his people back. 2,000 years ago, there was another prophet who spoke on behalf of God. As a matter of fact, he was God in the flesh. He came to help turn people back to God, calling people out of their idolatry. And he too, uh, he too made an altar, but uh, he didn't ask for the Lord to come consume the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. On a cross called Calvary, uh, the prophets of Baal at their altars, they, uh, they cut themselves and they bled out. And there was only silence. It did not accomplish anything. And yet on an altar called Calvary, they put nails in Jesus' hands and nails in his feet and uh, uh, pierced his side and blood came dripping down that accomplished salvation to all who would trust in him. You see, it's because Jesus died in our place and for our sins that, that we don't have to limp back and forth between two opinions, but, but it's because he uh, resurrected from the dead that it proves that God is the only true and living God, and he empowers and enables you and I to trust in him. Liam Neeson, you thought I forgot. He is navigated his way across the ocean, fought through gangs and thugs, gotten him himself out of peculiar situations, and finally beaten and bloodied and yet triumphant, he finds his daughter sold as a slave on a yacht. His daughter falls into his arms and says, Daddy, you came for me. He says, baby, I told you I would. I stopped by to tell you that from Genesis chapter 3 on through the entirety of this book, it's the storyline of a God who comes after us. And that storyline is fulfilled in the Gospels when the God of the universe, beaten and bloodied and yet triumphant, says to Satan, I've got a particular set of skills that make me a problem for demons like you. And here Jesus beaten and bloodied and yet triumphant. Every moment a follower of Jesus trusts in Jesus, bows their knee to Jesus, we say with the rest of the scriptures, Daddy, you came for me. And he says back, baby, I told you I would. I told you I would. Maybe God has sent a famine in your life. And the reality of your situation is that he hurt you to help you. And that the stuff, the cycles of, of life, of going after different things and different stuff and, 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 and forgetting your win and moving on to another one. His call to you today is come back to me. I sent that light-skinned preacher to come tell you to come back to me. I 
I put that passage in the Bible to tell you to come back to me. And you came in today continually hitting your head against the proverbial walls of life. And God wants to get your attention. I've got grace for that. His name is Jesus. And for others of us, it's a time period where we realize, man, I've been limping back and forth. You know, this pandemic set on and, you know, I, I kind of had my own thing with Jesus. And, and, and then I, I, I kind of got distracted and the winds of life kind of got my attention. And, and, and I'm realizing now that I can't serve two masters. One of the great church fathers said that all of life is repentance. Sometimes we think that the arrival point is going to come. And sometimes our own spiritual growth is the continual operation of realizing I keep getting these wins and I've got to keep trusting God. And that's what causes our spiritual growth is to realize I've got some stuff that I try to trust in, but I know it's silent. And it's a continual thing in my life. And God's call to all of us has come back to me. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.